Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I'm your host, Jessica Pirro, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule today to listen in um, to a very important conversation um, that we see happening daily um, with our children. And I'm excited to have our guest today, um, who's a local here from Buffalo, New York, uh, where we come to you live every week, um, that really can highlight um, some awareness around this issue. So let me just give you a little bit of a backdrop to our discussion today. Today. So the, the title of, of this, this episode is Culture, Power, and the Social Dynamics of Bullying, Our Role in Prevention and Intervention. And that's going to be a key point of some of our discussion today. So just to get an understanding of bullying, we talk about shoving, kicking, name-calling, threats, and uh, internet gossip um, are all types of bullying children experience every day. One in three students in the United States say they've been bullied at school, and over 80% of people witness a bullying episode, but less than 20% intervene. Bullying can happen in any number of places, contexts, and locations, and the emotional and psychological impact is significant. So what can you do to prevent bullying, provide intervention as a bystander, and help to support targets of bullying? That's going to be a big part of what we're going to be talking about today. We will define the types of bullying, give you important tips for educators and parents, and discuss how bystander intervention can play a vital part in helping to end bullying. So I want to uh, welcome my guest, Amanda Nick. Uh, Nickerson, um, and let me tell you a little bit about Amanda. Amanda is a professor in school psychology and director of the Alberti Center for Bullying, Abuse Prevention and at the University of Buffalo State University of New York. Her research focuses on school violence and bullying and the critical role of family and peers in preventing violence and building social-emotional strengths in our youth. Dr. Nickerson has published more than 70 journal articles, written four books, and conducted over 250 professional presentations. She's a licensed psychologist, nationally certified school psychologist, and a fellow of the American Psychological Association. She serves on multiple editorial boards such as School Psychology Review and the Journal of School Psychology. She's the coordinator of research for the National Association of School Psychologists, School Safety and Crisis Prevention Committee, and an author of the Prepared School Crisis Prevention and Intervention Training Curriculum. So, Amanda, I want to thank you so much for for joining me today um, and and really helping us to bring awareness to the issue of bullying and the impact on our kids. Um, So before we start, though, I want to make sure our listeners know that if you have any questions as the show is, um, as we're doing the show, please email us us um, at jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, that's J-P-I-R-R-O voiceamerica at gmail.com. So to get started, um, you know, bullying has been around for a long time. um, And I think it it used to be viewed almost as a rite of passage or something that kids just got through. Um, What has changed over time when we're talking about bullying? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you're correct on a couple of points. That first, it has been around for a long time, and that we used to view it as something that kids needed to get through, or maybe that it would just toughen them up as a rite of passage. But we're now really recognizing that bullying is an abuse of power, um, where a peer or a group of peers is using that power to intentionally hurt somebody else um, who's in some kind of position of weakness or vulnerability. So I think we're starting to see it more as really a form of abuse that needs to be taken seriously. Probably in addition to the research findings about uh, the impact, which I know we'll talk about a bit later, some high profile events um, of uh, people committing suicide, of school shooters, you know, that seem to be tied in some way to bullying, I think was really a lot of the impetus for the attention from the legislation, the media, and the general public. I know we'll get into that a little bit more about sort of the pros and cons of that, but I really do think some of those high profile events are the things that really brought our attention to it. Absolutely. So let's let's start off, too, with just, like, who is at risk for bullying? Um, and what are some warning signs? Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned, since bullying is an abuse of power, one of the central features of it is that the target is in some sort of position of weakness or vulnerability. And I don't mean that as a value judgment about them being weak. But that vulnerability can come from being physically smaller, having less cognitive abilities, less social status. Um, We're finding that being different in some way, um, whether perceived or actual sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. having a disability, um, just not following the norm continues to be something that seems to put people at risk for being bullied. Also, most people that are bullied um, are not very assertive, so they don't do a lot to um, fight back and or bring it on. Um, And they're often rejected by their peers, even their peers that don't bully them. They just seem to be, you know, not as cool or as popular. So that's a more typical scenario. Um, There's also a smaller subset that we call provocative victims or bully victims. And these are kids that um, tend to act in more irritating or provoking ways. It could be that they have a disability um, or maybe not, but maybe just lack social skills. So they're the kids that act in ways that you almost just want to say, if you didn't act like that, you know, you might be treated differently. Again, not to blame them, but they seem to, that's how they interact with the world. Again, that's a smaller subset. And instead of being really passive when someone bullies them, they may lash out back. They may be more more reactive or they may try to bully someone that's weaker than they are. Um, I think it's important to talk about risk factors for perpetrators as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people who bully have that desire for power and control. Um, they seem to get satisfaction from the other person's suffering. They also tend to justify their behavior. So if you, you know, approach someone who's bullying and you say what you did was was not right or that was a violation of a rule or that was bullying, they'll they'll turn it on somebody else. Well, he deserved it. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have acted that way. I was just doing what everybody else wanted to do kind of thing. Um, they also tend to engage in other risky behaviors, substance abuse, um, other aggressive behavior. Um, 
But something that I'll hit on a lot is bullying is really complex. So we can't just say, oh, these, this is what it looks like. Um, because a lot of people that um, bully also are very socially skilled. They have high social status. They're well-liked by, by um, teachers and adults and others, sort of the Eddie Haskells of the world, you know, mm-hmm. where they can act very um, sweet and powerful, yet they use their, their power in a, you know, in a way to try to climb the social ladder. Um, so in terms of, I think you said, some of the things to look for, um, and again, I just want to emphasize these could be warning signs of a lot of other things, not just bullying, but we tend to look for um, on a target, unexplained illness, cuts or bruises, you know, that you don't really know why that happened and there isn't a good explanation. Um, not wanting to go to school or be in social situations, and certainly any change in behavior if someone becomes more withdrawn. If there's a change in their friend group, if they're not interested in doing things that they used to want to do. Um, and on the flip side, those that bully others, you know, you want to look for referring to other people in a negative or biased way. Um, lack of empathy, kind of strong need to get his or her own way to want to win, um, more hostile or defiant, and anger easily. And as I said before, a lot of these individuals um displace blame or externalize things like that absolutely and I think your point is well taken that these are symptoms that could be other things as well but whenever those symptoms appear it's important for parents or for teachers to inquire and find out you know what's going on because of those changes in behaviors or even patterns in in their behavior as well what are effects of bullying on children what do you see as the the effects that result from that type of behavior Mm mm-hmm Well, for targets, um, and I call them targets as opposed to victims, sometimes I will slip into victims as well, but we know that they're more likely to um, be depressed, anxious, um, again, that desire to avoid school. Mm -hmm. Um, They may have more suicidal ideation. Um, Some may respond aggressively and in in a retaliatory way. We shouldn't expect that or think, oh, if this kid is bullied, they're going to attempt suicide. They're going to try to lash out and kill someone. I mean, I think those are very much extremes. Um, Tend to be lonely um, and withdrawn. Um, and more and more, we're finding that these uh, effects can last in the long term as well. Um, important to know, of course, that it's not, I think sometimes people hear this and they're afraid. They say, well, my kid was called a name or my kid was bullied. Does that mean that they're going to have a life of, you know, right. of, no. I mean, it definitely has to do with how chronic it, it is, sort of their pre-existing vulnerabilities and other risk and protective factors. I also think it's important to note that the perpetrators or the bullies also have um, poor outcomes. You know, again, they're more likely to engage in risky behavior, both while they're bullying and then later on in life. 
far more likely to have criminal convictions um, than individuals that don't bully others. Um, And they also, I don't think we always talk about this, but they're more likely to be depressed and anxious and have suicidal ideation and attempts. And just a poor ability to form true um, meaningful, positive interpersonal relationships. Absolutely. So when we're talking about bullying, you're talking about both children here. You're talking about the, the target, as you mentioned, the child that may be the target of the bullying, but the child that is the bullying, the one doing the bullying also, there's concerns there that people should be aware of because it, there's an impact on them on why they're doing this and the behaviors and how they're learning to interact with, with others. Absolutely. Um, and if I can just sure. mention one more thing besides those two people or groups of people we're finding out more and more about the impact on the bystander as well okay we don't know as much um but there have been some studies that have shown that kids that even if they're not involved directly but they see this happening that they're more anxious in fact there was one study that was done um, where they asked individuals to recall witnessing a bullying experience and their physiological responses looked identical to those who had experienced a natural disaster. Mm. So I think mm-hmm. it's just very telling that it's something that really affects not just those directly involved, but the people around them as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That's a great that's a great point to, to highlight for sure. Um, so my next question is really around cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when we think of the impact of technology on a lot of different things, but I think for our kids, it's such a different world than even... 20, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so can you just talk about what is cyberbullying and kind of what are some things that you see around that type of bullying? Yeah, there's so much attention to cyberbullying. You know, I and others have really tried to hit home the point. You know, cyberbullying is a form of bullying. So it's, it's pretty rare that someone would just cyber bully and not be involved in the other forms. So we try to have prevention and intervention deal with the whole and not just focus only on technology because I think that's potentially problematic. But having said that, (laughs) parents, teachers, people dealing with it every day, that's what they're really concerned about now because I think it is so much newer and unfamiliar and there's parts of it that seem like they're so much less controllable. So cyberbullying, like I said, is, is a form of bullying. It's um, intentional, willful, um, repeated harm against someone done through any sort of technology, computers, cell phones, other electronic example, um, uh, other electronic devices. Um, so just a couple examples of this. This could be anything from um, tagging someone in a photo, um, And sort of associating them with a negative image. So you Mm. might take uh, a picture of someone that's being blasted in the media and say, looks like so-and-so. So kind of doing that kind of thing. Impersonation is another thing where people... People will pretend to be somebody else and then send inflammatory messages or private information or things like that. Um, So it really is an issue. Um, I know that you had asked me about um, sort of the the online privacy kinds of issues Mm -hmm. too. And it is true that we have laws to protect children, the children's online privacy. 
privacy protection rule. So sites and internet providers that are collecting personal information about kids under the age of 13 cannot divulge that um, without, or cannot even collect it without permission from the parents, Mm. which is good, but it's only if the site knows that the child is under the age of 13 and there's nothing to prevent right. a child from lying or a parent from giving permission or saying, I mean, how many elementary school kids do we know that are on social media? Right, right. Yeah, I guess I was surprised when I read that, that the, these laws exist, but how do you really patrol that or monitor that um, in the way that social media is? So it's just, it's interesting to know that that's there, that children are protected to some capacity, but there's a lot of variables that don't allow that to actually protect them, I guess. It's, it's interesting. Um, so... You know, one of the things uh, that I have read, too, is, uh, which I loved, this kind of approach to this, what does it mean to be uh, a good digital citizen? So Mm -hmm. could you share what that is a little bit? Sure. And that's for all of us that use technology. It's using technology in a responsible and appropriate way. So it ranges everything from if you're going to cite an online source, be sure that you give them credit and you don't plagiarize. But it also gets into using your privacy and security settings, not engaging in cyberbullying, trying to leave a good uh, digital footprint, a positive Mm -hmm. self-image and identity. When we talk to kids about this, we say, think about what you're posting. Would you be okay about your grandparents seeing it and a future employer seeing it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what, I mean, that's fine for us to say, and maybe they can think that, but in the moment, it's much, it's much harder. But it's kind of every, every way that we behave um, on the internet. And I will say that Common Sense Media and NetSmarts from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children do a great job about educating people about digital citizenship. Yeah. And I just think that the piece around uh, technology um, with a lot of the issues um, from bullying to, to just other types of, of issues that we see with children, um, it is an area that we do have to keep uh, monitoring, but it's hard to do that because it's so fast-paced and it's so populated from Twitter to Instagram to Snapchat to everything else that's going on out there. It's, it's parents and is, is caregivers. It's hard to kind of keep on top of that to really monitor what's happening and what that impact is, is for our children. So, um, you know, it's just so interesting as we get into this a little bit deeper today um, that there's a lot of layers to the issue of bullying and the more we become educated as adults and loved ones around our children the more we can help them um, to make the right decisions and help be educated on what are those right decisions Um, and also just the the basis of proper relationship building and I think that's a key part that we will be you know highlighting a a lot today as well Um, so we do have a lot that we want to talk about we are going to be heading into break here in just a second so um, I just want to remind everyone Everybody, that if you do have uh, any questions for us, especially uh, for uh, Amanda during the show, to please uh, email us at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, that's jpiro voiceamerica at gmail.com. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey Stories of Crisis and Hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Dr. Amanda Nickerson, and we are discussing the issue of bullying. Um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Alberti Center for Bullying Abuse Prevention that's at the University of Buffalo here in Buffalo, New York. Um, so could you share with our listeners how the center came about and what's the mission of the center? Sure. Well, we were really fortunate that an alumna from the Graduate School of Education at UB, um, Dr. Jean Alberti, who uh, received her PhD in 1970 from educational psychology, she um, was doing private practice in Chicago and still is. Um, She retrained as a clinical psychologist and found that many of her adult clients had suffered from bullying Mm -hmm. um, when they were younger. And she was working with them on sort of the after effects of that. And she said, you know what, we need some concentrated attention to this issue. We need research. We need outreach. And I'm going to give a gift um, to UB to create this center. Um, So I came on as the first director in July of 2011 and really had an opportunity to kind of um, put things together and, and create the mission. It's been really exciting. But our mission is really to ultimately reduce what we call bullying abuse in both the schools and the community. And we do that by really contributing knowledge to the field and providing evidence-based tools in order to effectively change language, attitudes, behaviors of the people that make a difference, educators, parents, students, and society. 
Um, so there are a few other universities and definitely other researchers that study this that I work closely with. But our center is relatively unique with the focus. There's no other center that has this very specific focus right. at a university. Right. That's great. And it's great that the, uh, that the alumni, you know, that supported that for, for the University of Buffalo to, to set that up. So you have researched many aspects of bullying, um, but much of your work has centered around the role of the bystander. And I think because this is an important piece of our conversation. So can you tell us uh, some more about what you're finding around bystanders and bystander intervention? Sure. Yeah, I've been really fascinated by this. It's kind of what can we as community members and and bystanders do. You mentioned some of this at the beginning of the show, but um, I mean, one thing that we know is that bystanders are almost always present when bullying happens, but they rarely intervene. Um, And we also know that they can contribute. They can make it worse by smiling, joining in, egging on, even not doing anything, or they can help um, by intervening either directly or indirectly. Um, one of the things that we're finding more and more that it doesn't have to be the person that steps in there, puts themselves at risk or in danger and says stop. It could be someone that reaches out afterwards um, to the target and says, hey, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to spend time together? It's kind of that social support piece that's really important as well. Um, We've also found that most people who see it are really disgusted by it. Mm -hmm. So it's not that it's apathy that's stopping them from doing anything. It's one is that other people are often around. So people think, well, if they're not doing anything, why should I? Right. They must think it's okay. I don't want to be the only one. Fear of retaliation, that's a huge one. You know, if I do something, I'm going to become the next victim. And there is some reality to that, you know, sad to say. Um, And sometimes we find it's the attitude towards the target that people will say, you know what, I don't really care for him or her either. This probably shouldn't happen to them, but they're not someone that I really you know, yeah. they kind of brought it on themselves mm-hmm. kinds of things. We find that a lot with adolescents and middle schoolers. Um, and so some of what we've done is we've looked at individuals that they, that say that they intervene in, in bullying situations. Now, that may not be the same as those who actually do, but we find that they tend to report um, having more empathy Um, having closer relationships with their parents, particularly their moms, which I always like to to put in there. You do make a difference, parents. Um, Also, how they perceive their peers to react. I can get into this in more detail if we have time, but there has been some interesting findings about girls that don't quite line up with that, sort of that their friends report being really friendly and pro-social, but when you you ask the girls themselves, that's not their impression. Mm, mm -hmm. And therefore, there tends to be more bullying and victimization like within the friendship group. So that's a little hard to to sort out kind of thing. So a lot of what I said about what we look for for bullies and victims in that more relational aggression, we might not see that. These could be kids that are friends one day and then the next they're not. And they could be going back and forth with right. the bullying kind of thing. So right. not just your traditional perpetrator and target. Mm. Um, and finally, the we've looked at what has to happen for someone to intervene. And it's 
it is a little bit complicated. It's the same as when someone intervenes in an emergency situation. They have to notice that it's happening. They have to interpret it as a problem. They have to accept responsibility. They have to know how to help, and then they have to help. So when we say, why didn't anybody do anything, the answer is kind of like, well, where in that was the breakdown? And if you think about it with all that happens in our world, that's kind of a process that you have to go through. And how many of us do that? I mean, think about what we see every day that we might not like. How often are we really the ones that take a stand? Right, right. And sometimes these things are happening so quickly that it's hard when you're processing through all that to actually act um, in that moment. But um, so that's really very interesting, um, an interesting piece to, to remind people about, too, that, um, you know, uh, your processing of it is important, but it's also important to act if you can um, in in the situation. So um, what are some key points you'd like listeners to know about when we're talking about preventing and intervening with bullying? Mm -hmm. Well, as with any complex problem, there's just no quick fix or silver bullet. Mm -hmm. But having said that, there are some pretty logical things that, you know, having good supervision, you know, modeling appropriate behavior, teaching kids about healthy relationships and how you treat others and how you respect others. Some of those, like what you learned in kindergarten, are the things that should guide us us through. Um, But we really need to focus on prevention, not just in the schools, but in our families and community. You know, again, goes back to how do we treat other people? What's acceptable? How do we view differences? Um, And, you know, it's getting more and more complex as kids will even tell us, well, you tell us to do this, do these things, but then we turn on the presidential elections or other things and look what we see. We look at reality TV, like what are we supposed to listen to here? So um, it's, it's pretty complex. And I think last, it's just... When we do encounter bullying, we need to look at it beyond just discipline and punishment. Mm -hmm. I mean, consequences are clearly important in changing behavior. But as we know, it's, you know, the person that's perpetrating also has something going on that needs to be intervened with. So we need to look at that. And of course, you know, the role of the bystander and other people involved are important as well. So um, I know earlier in the show you talked about the attention to some uh, high-profile cases that might have resulted in kind of more attention to the issue of bullying. Um, And various legislation has come about as well as a result of of that attention. So what types of legislation has occurred to to help enforce bullying prevention efforts? Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting. Before 1999, we had no legislation around bullying. Um, And if you remember, that was around the time of Columbine and and other things. And now all 50 states have bullying, anti-bullying legislation. It's not a federal, there's no federal law, but all 50 states have legislation. So, uh, I mean, I'll bring up the example of, um, because it varies from state to state, but in New York, we have the Dignity for All Students Act. Mm -hmm. And that has several components, um, and most all legislation does, that there needs to be, it's usually around the school. What does the school need to do? So having policy and code of conduct that specifically mentions and defines bullying, a lot of legislation also 
includes harassment, bullying, harassment, and intimidation as sort of the same thing, which researchers, it drives us a little crazy, (laughs) but they are similar. Um, There's also, again, in New York State, the appointment of a Dignity Act coordinator. So every public school in the state has a staff member that is a designated Dignity Act coordinator who is responsible for overseeing bullying prevention People report incidents to that person, and everybody, students, parents, others, are supposed to know who that person is. There's also instruction for students. So we already had character education, but in that, there's supposed to be um, prohibition of harassment, bullying, intimidation, who are the protected classes, how do we treat each other respectfully, things like that. There's also school employee training um, that's supposed to be done on an annual basis, letting people know about the legislation, about bullying and harassment and its prevention. There are also reporting requirements for school employees if um, they observe or an incident is reported to them. And then schools also have to do annual reporting to New York State Ed about the incidents um, of bullying, harassment, and intimidation. Um, Along with the training, there's also um, anybody who is going to be certified or recertified to work in the schools in New York State has to take six hours of uh, training about um, the Dignity Act Mm -hmm. and things like that. So definitely a lot of awareness that comes from this type of legislation. And as you mentioned, there's a legislation in all 50 states. So nationwide, this is kind of a standard for for all of our schools, but there's specifics depending on the state, how that legislation is implemented and what that looks like. So um, now I know that one of the resources we wanted to give out was stopbullying.gov. Would that have information based on states that people could find out a little bit more on how their structure is set up? Yeah, if you go to stopbullying.gov and you click on, I think it's laws and policies, they actually show you a map of the United States. So if you just click on your state it'll bring up all the information about the legislation and I think it's important for not only for for teachers and and, you know educators but you know obviously for parents to just know what what exists in their own community so that they know what to enforce if they're advocating for their child or you know a loved one as well so I want to just kind of dive into a a specific topic when it comes to bullying Mm -hmm. um, and the issue of bullying and suicide. And I know we mentioned a little bit that that is a risk factor for someone that could be a target. They might have thoughts of suicide and that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, um, encompassing all the different types of risk behaviors that they might have um, as a result of this experience. But I know that bullying and comparing bullying and suicide together is very complex. Um, And, you know, we tend to, you know, when we see cases that occur and unfortunately we lose a child to suicide um, you know they, they there's a lot of attention sometimes in the media about the direct result of uh, it is because of, of the bullying so um, I'm just curious you know that I think that can be a bit of a dangerous message um, that we see and I know for us here at crisis services uh, we are the suicide prevention hotline for our community so a lot of times when these things come up we're, we're contacted to speak to it and and we want to just make sure people understand that it's it's one of the risk factors that put somebody could be thinking of suicide but it's not necessarily um, because they're being bullied they will die by suicide so I guess I just wanted to get your your response um, about uh, this issue and, you know, 
your thoughts of the suggestion that suicide is a natural response to bullying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I come at it very similar to how you do, um, and I was glad that you raised the issue. Um, it's always a tricky one to talk about because it, it, it is so complex, and sometimes I feel like I'm, it comes across that I'm trying to minimize, and yeah. that's not what I'm doing. It, bullying absolutely um, can be linked to depression and suicidal ideation and, and attempts, as I've said a number of times, but I'm very concerned about oversimplifying that link. Um, the term bully side really concerns me. I don't use it, but it's out there, you know, the idea that bullied to death and things like that. Um, I mean, part of the issue, I think, is that some of the risk factors and symptoms are similar for, for both. So it's sort of which which came first, right. you know, to what point was that vulnerability? And I also think that by emphasizing that so much that it's it's sort of focusing too much on blame and I'm concerned that that's going to take away from the message that we really need to be sending is this is a mental health issue Mm -hmm. how do we identify both bullying that's happening and suicidal ideation and get people the help and support that they need. I mean, that's the message that we need to be focusing on. Again, it goes back to prevention, prevention, prevention. Um, Now, after something happens, we certainly can take an opportunity to look at Every you know, suicide prevention is uh, you know looking at at what we can all do. Look at the signs and things like that. And bullying prevention can be part of that. Right. But again, right. how helpful is that if we're pointing to that as the cause? Um, so, you know, I don't feel like I have a, a great answer to it. We have to acknowledge that that both are there and there is a link, but let's concentrate on on what we need to do about it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's such an important message because I think you I think you mentioned it's like there's um there's accountability and I think sometimes we, we want people to we look for some sort of reason why. Um and suicide itself is a complex issue, let alone some of the issues that, that person or that child might be experiencing leading up to the choice to die by suicide. And I think that we, we just need to be careful about how it's presented and and a lot of it has to come down to you know media presentation sometimes of cases and how that's put out there because uh, you know words are very powerful as we know and bullying is an example of that Um, but you know we, we do see that the vast majority of young people who are bullied um, do not become suicidal. They're not dying by suicide. It's not a direct correlation, and we can't uh, present it that way. And, yes. I, and I think it is an important message. And I, you know, I always like to share a resource for, for our listeners that if you or yourself or your child, if you're concerned about somebody who is having thoughts of suicide or maybe some behaviors that you're, you know, you're just concerned about that they might be thinking that way, um, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 
It's 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And really, there's a lot of resources out there um, for parents and for caregivers and um, as well as for teachers on what are those signs and symptoms for suicide. And I think it's important for us to become aware of that as well as we talk about how do we care for our our young children? Um, What are those signs and symptoms to look for? But, you know, I think just one of the things I wanted to highlight is I know this comes up a lot here locally when cases present, and it's just something we have to be very cautious and conscious about how we present this information when a child dies by suicide, um, because our children are listening and they're watching, and we need to make sure that they understand that um, not every child who is bullied will will die. And, you know, they're association to things may be limited of how they interpret the information that's presented um, out into the community. So um, just just a real important conversation, and I, I thank you for, for your comments and your feedback on it. So again, just if anyone has any concerns for anyone who might be thinking of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's at 1-800-273-TALK. Again, 1-800-273-8255. So we still have a lot to get into to. Um, we're going to be heading into break, so please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O. Voice America at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone, and I I want to welcome back my guest, Dr. Amanda Nickerson from the Alberti Center on Bullying, Abuse, and Prevention here in Buffalo, New York at the uh, University at Buffalo. Um, So I want to take some time in this last segment to really talk about the center and some of the things that you're working on. Um, So could you share with our listeners what are some recent research projects that um, you've had published? 
Sure. Um, so I think I've already mentioned that one of my uh, primary interests in bullying is the role of the bystander. So my colleagues and I have published a number of studies just trying to understand better um, the individuals that do intervene, um, the process of that intervention, um, and then what are some of the individual family and peer factors and school factors as well that, that influence that. Um, we've also looked uh, some at the impact of bullying, um, not only on mental health, but also um, on perceptions of school climate. Um, and we've tried to look at that from both individuals that have been bullied, those who bully, and those that are bystanders. That's kind of a, an ongoing theme. We've also done some work trying to look at the impact of legislation. Um, so we did do a study where we were um, looking at educators' uh, perceptions of the problems of bullying, um, the bullying practices in schools, both before and after the Dignity for All Students Act. Um, and I guess the the in a nutshell, the results that we found were that schools that did adhere to the legislation um, had better school climates, lower um, bullying and harassment, and less perceived need to improve what they were doing. I guess one of the interesting things is when we looked at the interaction of time, there was no difference. So in other words, it's not clear that it was the legislation mandating that that made the okay. difference. It more seemed that schools, some of them were doing these things anyways, that that did seem to make a difference. But it's unclear whether or not legislation actually caused that. Okay. Um, yeah, so, and I guess those are some of the main um, recent ones. I think we're going to talk about my crisis prevention and intervention work. And one other thing is that we recently have been doing more work on bullying and in individuals with disabilities, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the focus of our um, upcoming annual conference, which I think we're going to chat about yeah, as well. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I mentioned when I introduced you early in the show that you've authored the prepared, you're an author on one of the prepared curriculum. Um, that was developed by the National Association of School Psychologists. So can you talk a little bit about what that curriculum is and um, what that stands for as well? Sure, yeah. So I've been involved with um, NASP for, well, uh, probably over 15 years now. And NASP has really been a leader in um, school crisis prevention and intervention. So it used to be that there was a small group of individuals from NASP that would be deployed, if you will, if there was a major school crisis, a school shooting, um, something like that. So they would go and help the school work through that. Now, when I came on board, we said this is not a... It's a specialized skill, but it's not something that people working in the schools on the ground shouldn't have. This is something that should be shared. So we worked for um, quite a while on developing a curriculum. There's actually two different workshops. There's um, workshop one, as we call it, which is focused on crisis prevention and preparedness. So that's designed for anybody in a school system, as well as community partners, that are involved in the crisis planning and prevention. So how do you form your crisis team? How do you decide um, what level of services are going to be needed? What do we know about crisis response? What about drills? Like all all those kinds of things. Um, Memorials, policies, things like that. Then there's a 
two-day workshop that's focused much more on the role of the school-based mental health professional on what to do after a crisis occurs. Um, And the PREPARE acronym does mean something. So the first P is preventing and preparing um, for crises. Um, The R is reaffirming um, physical health and perceptions of safety. So these are kind of starting with the R. It's what you do after a crisis occurs. Okay. The E is um, evaluating risk for psychological trauma with the idea being we don't want to rush to intervene for people who don't need it or want it, Mm -hmm. but who's at highest risk based on their relationship to the crisis event, their pre-existing vulnerabilities. Um, The P is provide um, interventions and respond um, to needs. So that's the P-A-R. And then the E is examining the effectiveness of what we've done. So we kind of take the participants through the acronym and say, this is what prevention preparedness is key. We have a full day on that. And then the R through E is the two-day workshop on what do we do after a crisis occurs. Interesting. And I think, you know, you mentioned kind of to the relationships with the community. And one of the things that I, I always like to highlight is, you know, the CEO of our local crisis center here in Buffalo is at crisis centers in all all states, uh, communities, counties um, are a great resource for schools, uh, for other types of providers that are working um, either with children or adults around mental health or any type of crisis situation that the hotlines that are established are really a resource. And I know that you share our hotline um, when you're doing your presentations too, because when people actually take time to digest all the information and maybe they're home or a kid kind of says, oh, you know, I think I'm ready to talk with somebody, but it's 10 o'clock at night, you know, we want to make sure people have a resource. So really, you know, for anyone who's listening from other schools um, across the country, just know that your crisis center, your crisis hotline is a partner um, to help you make sure you're providing a real comprehensive type of of response. So um, what are some other correlations you found um, that uh, result from bullying? So I know we talked a little bit about mental health and addiction. So do you you see in your research kind of that impact of bullying and then, um, you know, the, the use of substance or other types of issues that come about because of that? Yeah, um, I don't want this to come off as, as a flip, but honestly, you name a potential outcome and it is probably shown to be linked to bullying right. just because it's... It, the effect can be so pervasive and because it affects different people differently than it can be. We're now doing, I'm collaborating with researchers at the uh, Research Institute on Addiction, looking at some longitudinal um, studies of bullying and victimization and substance use. So there hasn't been a ton. There has been some literature showing that they're correlated, but we're really trying to tease out We're even asking kids to report on a daily basis for eight weeks so we can really see um, on days that they're victimized, are they more likely to use substances Mm -hmm. and things like that. I mean, one thing that we're finding, fortunately, I guess, is that our kids who are 14 to, to 16 have pretty low rates of substance use. So, you know, I think that's going to be one of the things we'll have to tease out. But pretty much mental health effects, substance use, sleeping and eating problems, mm-hmm. which are also related to mental health, of course, um, relationship difficulties. I mean, almost all of those things, right. perceptions of uh, 
school climate and safety and trust in others, almost all of those things have some sort of relationship to bullying. Absolutely. And again, I think when there's any changes in your child's behavior, um, if it's sleeping, eating, you know, those are the times to ask questions to try to kind of inquire a little bit more because especially if they're all of a sudden using or, or drinking more or something, then um, those are things that you definitely want to reach in and, and talk with them about um, because of that long-term impact that we're seeing as a result of this experience as, as a child. So um, I want to take some time to talk about your annual conference. I mean, you're, we'll, we'll give the website out. And, and for those that are listening, I mean, the, the, your website provides such a host of information and resources for people and it's really broken down nicely for parents and educators and in the community so um, definitely a place to go to to get more information Um, but you have an annual conference that's going to be coming up in September on September 29th so can you tell us about the conference and and who would be um, the folks to attend this type of conference sure Um, I'd be happy to. So this was really an outgrowth of the work that we did um, with the New York State Developmental Disabilities Planning Council. So they um, gave us a a grant to help look at what are the needs of individuals with disabilities in relation to um, bullying and sort of where do we as an organization go forward. So that was um, a really great experience. But one of the... um, the outcomes of that was that we really need to raise more awareness and um, to this issue. So our conference is on bullying and individuals with disabilities. We have two featured keynote um, speakers. One is um, Dr. Chad Rose, who is at the University of Missouri. We also at our center give an early uh, career award to a scholar that is um, doing really good research in the field, and he was the winner of that. And his focus is on bullying in students with disabilities, both what are the the risk and protective factors, what can we do intervention-wise, and where do we need to go? So he's going to do the morning keynote. We're then going to have two breakout sessions. So we have topics such as disability law. Bruce Goldstein's going to be presenting on that. We're going to have people have an education perspective. So Michelle Washington and Kathy Miller, who are school counselors in the Kenton School District. Um, LGBTQ and social support. So Rick Banner. Um, and Amy Levesque will be presenting on that. Um, Then in our second series of uh, breakout sessions, we're going to have a panel of um, self-advocates who are individuals with disabilities who are going to be talking about their experiences and advocacy efforts. We'll have a parent perspective, uh, Christy Moscato from Parent Network of Western New York, and then a mental health perspective, so Mary Skrupa from Children's Mental Health Coalition. So as you can see, and then um, the afternoon keynote is going to be Julie Herzog, who is the um, director of PACER's National Bullying Prevention Center. So she, if you know that schools... um, celebrate unity day and wear orange that all came from oh, okay. pacer yeah yep. so she has um a son with a disability but she's also been like active in this field for a long time so she's going to be talking about their resources and what people can do so in contrast to some of our previous concerts uh, uh conferences which were really focused on um professionals this one is broader so our hope with the support from the New York State Developmental Disabilities Planning Council 
is that individuals with disabilities, their family members, mm-hmm. community members will attend this as well. Um, that's why we've tried to have breakout sessions that will appeal to um, broad audiences. So. Absolutely. So could you give uh, the website information for the center? Because I know all your conference information is on there as well as a lot of the stuff we talked about. But I think that would be great for people to know uh, what the website is. Okay. So it is GSE dot buffalo dot edu slash alberti center and that's spelled a l b e r t i c e n t e r and so you know like i mentioned um you know a lot of great resources um are on your website and we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show that um there's also the um stopbullying.gov website that has some more national um resources for those that are listening in across the country um if you want to kind of learn a little bit more about what's going on in your community or or kind of who are the experts in your community addressing this issue that website should be a great resource for people to to tap into and like you said what's nice is they have a map and then you can click on your state and and it kind of can take you from there and walk you through it from there. So, um, you know, Dr. Nickerson, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I think this is such a critical conversation for for all of us as a community, not just for parents, not for just teachers, but as a society as a whole, um, you know, how our children um, are cared for and how they care for each other only uh, impacts how they'll be as adults as well. So we all have an invested interest um, in helping children who are impacted by bullying um, in our community. So I want to thank you again for for joining me today. And again, um, the Stop Bullying.gov is, is a great resource, as well as the Alberti Center, which is gse.buffalo.edu slash Alberti Center. So please check out those resources for more information. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to another episode of The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join me every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And again, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. So thanks again for tuning in, and do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week.